Welcome, and thanks for listening along with Kingstown Communion, an inclusive and affirming United Methodist Church in the Kingstown area of Alexandria, Virginia. And our community exists to gather people, just like you here now, into communion with Christ and extend God's table into the world through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. This podcast is just one way that we live this out. For more information about our church or to give to our ministry, visit kingstowncommunion.net. And if you live nearby, we hope you'll join us for worship on Sundays at Hayfield Secondary School. shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you for darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will appear over you and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn lift up your eyes and look around they all gather together they come to you your sons shall come from far away and your daughters shall be carried on their nurses arms And then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you and the wealth of the nation shall come to you and a multitude of camels shall cover you and young camels of Midian and Ephah and all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I know y'all want camels. Everyone but Brett. <laughs> Extend that to sheep as well. He says he adds sheep to his list now, too. Um, take a look at this poem. There was a star in the east. Magi in their turbans brought their luxury toys in homage to a child born to capsize their values. A smell of hay like peace in the dark stable, not peace, however, but a sword, to cut the Gordian knot of self-interest, for Christ walked in where philosophers tread, but armed with more than folly, making the smooth place rough and knocking the heads of church and state together. Poets and musicians alike, know well the ironies of Christmas. The incomprehensible, like, irony in this helpless babe who cracks the world apart at this moment, cracks the world apart better than the church has ever done since. And the journey of of these magi Um, that we are here today um, remembering this epiphany moment that we celebrate today is is the point in this nativity story when all of these ironies come to light and become, they become particularly apparent to us in this story. The Magi come looking for Jesus in a palace but they find him in a manger. 
The Magi come looking for Jesus at the, the dark heart of privileges won through personal power, but actually find him in the place of poverty and dispossession, right? The Magi come looking for a king according to the dark understanding of kingship they have to only find Jesus in the light when they, they left that understanding of political power, when they leave it behind to encounter a king whose every breath is service to his subjects instead. And then the empire strikes back, right? Remember what happens next in this story? Herod, threatened by the thought of a rival, sends his death squads out to massacre all male children under two in Bethlehem, forcing Mary and Joseph and Jesus to become refugees now, settling in Egypt until Herod himself is, is later dead. We know that Jesus was born at the seat of irony. We, we know that he was vulnerable in this way because he was always on the edge at the margins of society, existing as good news for the poor and good news for the heavy laden and the downcast and the meek and the lowly and the broken. And not as much for the rich or the strong, at least not until they're willing to come into the light and find themselves poor and weak too, right? We know this. This is the good news of this story. It's dripping with irony, and we know it because we love that. It's what makes us come back here, for those of us who still come into a place to hear a message on a Sunday morning, the few of us left, right? It's what makes us come back here time and time again to hear this story. That irony, that story, that good news. It's what makes poets and musicians write like they're running out of time about it, about the irony of Jesus' good news at the edge of the world. Here's another one. Christmas sets the center on the edge, the edge of town, the outhouse of the inn, the fringe of empire, far from privilege and power, on the edge and outer spin of turning worlds, a margin of small stars, that edge, a galaxy itself, light years from some unguessed at cosmic origin. This is why we love it. The edge is the place where those who have been excluded or rejected or ignored by, by society or by the church are to be found. That's good news. And the fact that Jesus is found there, is born there, speaks of the conviction at the very heart of God that is on the edge of human society. And not only that, that this God is most encountered among those on the margins, on the edge of this life, that, that we actually encounter God most fully in those people and in those places, those on the edge become Christ to us, meaning that, that Christianity doesn't exclude, but rather proclaims that Jesus is seen in all those who have been excluded, rejected, ignored by society and by the church. 
Jesus isn't just for them, Jesus is in them. The edge is where we receive all the gifts of God, especially the ones that church and society um, have for so long despised or, or, or patronized, right? Those who have been rejected are, are, the, are the energy and the life force that will transform us all, transform the church. Basically, that's our theology here at Kingstown. And therefore, the life of those in power within the church and society, as, as one of my favorite theologians says, the life of those in power, us, us, within the church and society, is about constantly recognizing the sin of how much we have rejected and then celebrating the grace that in Jesus God gives us back what we once rejected to become cornerstone of our lives. If you want a good like theology, that is, that's a theology. That's a Christian theology. It's not just spirituality, that is Christianity. And that's what we believe here. This is the story we long to hear here, the one that draws us back to the church time and time and time again. This is the light and the darkness that we have come to realize is what it's all about. It's the story of the Magi that gets us to the edge of that story, that good news for us, that we know the world needs to hear, that light. Unfortunately, though, Christians like us are not the ones telling the predominant Christian story, are we? The majority of the depictions of the arrival of the Magi show this to be very true. You know, whatever picture you have in your mind, or maybe it's your own nativity scene, or maybe it's some national gallery art, right? Um, they actually tend, quite ironically, any depictions of, of the Magi to show the way in which rejection of others has been built into the storytelling of the Christmas story or larger the Christian story, right? <clears throat> Actually, the National Gallery in the UK currently has this immersive digital experience you can explore inspired by um, this 16th century masterpiece. It's the Adoration of the Kings. I would turn down the lights, but I think you can see it. The exhibit begins with the African king, Balthazar's voice, setting the scene for the journey into this painting. Balthazar is one of the three kings who traveled to Bethlehem to visit the newborn Jesus, bringing gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. He's black, reflecting the resurgence by around like 1500 of a tradition dating back to the early days of Christianity, of including an African king among the three. The three kings were often represented as rulers of each of the major parts of the world known at the time. Europe, Asia, 
Africa, emphasizing the global reach of the Christian religion. It's not completely clear the exact reason for the resurgence of this tradition of including an African king among the three, but it is likely that, that a significant factor was the growing presence of black people in Europe at that time, who were most of them enslaved. And so we get Balthazar, this black magus figure who, I, I wonder, do you all have this figure in your nativity scene? Maybe. Maybe yours are just like generic across. Um, I've kind of liked those ones, you know, the ones that are just clear glass, all of them. Um, but um, maybe you have this figure. As a child, the nativity scene, um, it, it always excited me um, when it was brought out. And I still get excited every year uh, to bring out my version, except now I get very worried um, that the pieces are going to go missing in a dollhouse. Um, <laughs> but, um, but I was excited again this year, particularly when my, my grandmother downsized into an assisted living apartment this year, and she had to get rid of all the things in her china cabinets, all the things I looked at like longingly wanting to break, right, as a child, um, and was told not to touch. Uh, and, um, and so she, she left me one of those three um, sets that I remember, nativity sets. It's always excited me. Um, and the, another theologian, um, Robert Beckford, talks about how, exciting he, how excited he would get as a kid when the nativity scene was brought out. Um, and it wasn't because, you know, it meant that the closeness, the proximity to presence <laughs> was um, closer than ever before, but he says for him it's because of the return every year of this black Balthazar. He didn't know Balthazar when he was eight, but this, bl this black wise one and yet as he grew up and became a theologian, he came to be quite disappointed by it. Balthazar having been inserted into the story because the story itself has been given an entirely white European perspective as a whole, right? The, that perspective reverses and, and rejects its original significance, but has become the default understanding so in this painting and most images of this story from the medieval periods and onward, we, we have this white European Christ and his mother being visited by a black man rather than, than the reverse, which is actually more historically accurate. Before Christmas, on, on, on the BBC World Service program entitled Black Jesus, um, the theologian Beckford um, explored the impact of black theology, uh, it, all that it has on raising awareness of these rejections the, and the implications for the church and whether seeing Jesus as black is having a revival due to the Black Lives Matter movement and, and all of these various uh, conversations. And the program, this realization though, came home most forcefully when, when this woman, um, Klein McDonald, says, well, when I, and let me say, a, this black woman, 
Mrs. McDonald says, when I see, when I pray, I see a white man. Jesus is the man of color from the ancient Near East, this olive-skinned Palestinian, not some blonde European, and even um, this, this, this woman, sure as she was in her own identity, prays and sees Jesus, this white man. It's... It's where we have, this story of Christianity has gone. And it is still the predominant telling of this story. It's problematic that, that a black woman like Klein McDonald still pictures a white man when she prays, even though this is a reverse of the image of God found in Jesus. The, and the problematic nature of this can be seen in, in the reality that that's pictures of white Jesuses hang through about 80% of the churches in America find some Sunday school classroom in any church. <laughs> and you'll find one with blue eyes. The Magi's visit is... It's called this Gentile Christmas, this overriding message being that, that learned wise foreigners, the, the ultimate outsiders for, for gospel writer Matthew, perhaps, Jewish Christian audience, come to pay homage to, to a, a newborn ruler, Jesus the Christ, whose spiritual power and wisdom surpass their own. This is, this is an appropriate uh, interpretation of this story and what, like, what Matthew's intent is. But, but, but as we've seen, it, it's one in which we, we have come to picture in a way in our brains that is opposite to what was ever intended. And so as a result, the, powerful, the power of like, the, the medieval and Renaissance images and interpretations of this white Christ child visited by this black king, it's embedded itself, along with a lot of other things in the Christian story that is predominantly being told right now. And then we get to this scripture we read today. Let's look at it again. Arise, shine. Church, your light has come, <laughs> and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. And nations are going to come to your light, and the kings to your brightness. Lift up your eyes and look around. When Isaiah tells of the nations coming to the light of the one 
we know as the Christ child, we can picture all people of all nations drawn to Christ who knew oppression on every level. Christ was born under the oppression of Roman rule, escaped genocide by becoming a refugee, um, and lived as a migrant in another country. All this is obscured if we, if we then picture Christ as being one of the white European oppressors. But, um, but a Christ who, who through his... His, his, his brown identity is seen to be one of the oppressed. It enables Christianity to be seen for what it originally and genuinely was. This religion of liberation. A religion on the edge. The incarnation, this 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 Gentile Christmas reveals that God's heart is on the edge of human society with those who have been excluded and rejected and ignored, that God is most evidently encountered among those in the margins and the edge, those who have been rejected. And if we don't tell that story, the other one will continue to be told. And when I say we, I don't mean clergy. This season of epiphany, and some say it's a day, but I say it's a season. It's a season of epiphany. Um, It's where all things are realigned. Where we where we not only stand in awe of the light of the world born in Jesus, but we align our lives, our voice, our story, our impact, our actions to be the light in the world. We would do, well, we would do so well to, to to rediscover all that is on the edge and then tell that story. Unfortunately though, the mainline church is really silent. And so we have a whole lot to say normally about all the stories that are being told, right? We have a lot to say. We are. Um, we stand uh, righteous, with a righteous indignation against all the other stories being told. But here's my question for you. When was the last time you told this story? And why is it, like, just take, just take a, a pulse of yourself. Why is it that you haven't? Could be a lot of things, right? Uh, That the predominant story being told has made you feel like Christianity is, insert word, and so therefore you don't think anybody needs any more of that story, or maybe that's it, but that's not the story, right? Or maybe, you 
think that you don't know what to say. <laughs> Maybe you don't feel qualified to tell that story in a space where, I don't know, something about life and spirituality, good and evil, a conversation like that emerges, which happens everywhere. Don't act like you don't, that your people don't bring that up. They don't have to say the word Jesus for a conversation about good and evil to come up in any place around you. Maybe it's talking about the news. Maybe it's talking about the school system. When was the last time that in that space, instead of shrinking back in our very kind of mainline, Christianity is an inward journey with Jesus, kind of place we like to sit ourselves, right? Because if we're not that, we must be those crazy evangelicals, right? No, no. So we, we do this whole just, we sit back in our seat. It's this inward, personal journey. And it's the season of epiphany that uniquely says, BS. The very last words of Jesus make it super clear what the purpose of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, was all for so that you may go and be witnesses in all the world, in Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so this series, we're gonna talk a little bit about that. We're gonna talk about what it means to be a witness. We're gonna talk about what it doesn't mean to be a witness. I wonder if you all were sent on, um, on, on uh, ski trips that you were told was a ski trip, but really you were going to be witnessing to somebody in the ski resort. Um, I've been on those. Um, <laughs> not evangelism. That is not what that is. We're going to reclaim this word, which just means good news. It's all it means, good news. And I'm telling you, if you all believed everything we just said, if you believe that Jesus is the one on the edge... It's time the church starts telling that story. Or the other story will be the only one told. Because no one out there is listening to me. Just because you sit here and heard a good sermon and went, mm-hmm. That, re that affirmed everything I already thought about Jesus. Good. Um, just because you do that, it makes no impact on the world desperately in need of this story around us. Let's pray. God, this little light of mine is um, a little fearful. Um, not, not super bright in me because um, I, God, personally, me, Michelle, um, I know what happens when I um, sit down at a counter at a, at a at chalkboard and someone asks me what I do. And I immediately want to come up with some other word to describe what I do, to not encounter the reaction I will receive, whether chatty or concerned or confused. I know in me, <laughs> this little light of mine um, has been dim. I know that I don't want to engage <laughs> sometimes. And yet, God, the, 
this moment in time, this, um, the, the divisiveness in our country, um, the, on the brink of war, are just, you know, 70% of people living in DC metro area, living paycheck to paycheck, all COVID relief gone and, and those who are sheltered, unsheltered right here on Route 1 having more trouble than ever getting the resources they need. God, I know where we are right now. The world is not just in need of another good person. The world is in need not of a, another spiritual journey, but of the Christian story being told and retold. Reclaimed in all the places that we play and work and live. Because if we think this story is good and we sit here and we shake our heads and feel affirmed in our belief, but we walk out and no one else's life is changed, God. We've missed the point of the entire story. And so, God, flip our, our, our kind of lean back in our chair mentality on its head this season. Flip, flip it. In every way, we think that Christianity is this internal journey, God. Help us think outside of ourselves. Not to, not to a place that, that makes people uncomfortable, not to encounter random strangers, not to, to, to preach as we've heard it preached, but to authentically be witnesses and to the end of our corner of this earth. Witness meaning to tell of what we've lived and seen. We don't have to be theologians. God, get that out of our mind. We just have to be people with a story. Help us see our story, feel our story, the series, and open us up, God, to what you might be doing. We pray this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Amen.